Hey everyone, welcome back to Garden State of Hockey. We finally, finally got to see our Devils fly on the ice in some preseason games again. Uh, no more split squad nonsense. We're getting close to what the team is going to actually look like. And to help break down some of that and also give plenty of analysis along the way, we have John Fisher. Hey, John. Hi, Dan. How's it going? It goes well. And more importantly, it goes successfully as the New Jersey Devils won all three of their preseason games up until this recording. Yes. Because they don't have any they don't have anything until Wednesday. Right. So it's been a pretty successful homestand. They beat both their crosstown rivals in succession. Some great performances to highlight. It looks like everyone who we would hope to be doing well is in fact doing well. And there's a lot of the more marquee players being rested, but even with you know, not necessarily everyone that's going to be on the final opening day roster. The Devils have looked pretty good top to bottom. Yes and no. I mean, there, there are definitely some issues in the three games, specifically with two of them. But we'll, we'll get into some more details as we go to game by game situations. But for the most part, you're absolutely right. The big names, the guys that you expect to do well this year, more importantly, the guys you hope do well this year did do well, and that's encouraging for the upcoming season. We're seeing some strong connections form between um, the center, the, basically some of the new players being very well integrated into the lineup, especially in those top two lines. It looks like Hall and Hughes have a pretty natural connection, and as do Heischer and Gusev, really, and it's nice to see it all come together. Now, that won't necessarily be what the final lineup looks like, but it's good to see that there's some versatility in the options that they'll have going forward, and it's nice to see that there's going to be at least you know two to three lines that they can comfortably roll out there pretty much against anyone. Yes, and that's a big reason why people are very excited for this upcoming season and why people were so excited during the offseason, because getting Jack Hughes is a big deal. Getting a healthy Taylor Hall back and a healthy Kyle Palmieri back is a big deal. Getting Wayne Simmons to be a, that sort of mid-range complimentary winger is a big deal. And picking up Nikita Gusev, it's turning out to be another big deal. Yeah. Throwing other guys like Jesper Bokvist and other guys chipping in here and there. And before you know it, you know, you've got nine, ten guys who are mortal locks for the NHL roster. Yeah, so there's going to be some tough choices to make, but before that, let's go into some of the games that have happened since you and I last spoke, and that includes beating both the Rangers and the Islanders. So what did you see in those two games? I guess start with the Ranger game and let me know what stuck out to you the most in terms of you know any players making a push for a roster spot and maybe some things you'd like to see improved by some players who... I mean, I have one specifically in mind, but some players who were thought to have a pretty good shot of making the roster that may be on some uneven ground right now. Right. So let's talk about that first Devils-Rangers game, because the first one was in MSG last Wednesday, and this game was a little rough, namely because the Devils gave up 42 shots and Corey Schneider faced a full night's work in two periods. We're talking breakaways. We're talking about breakdowns in coverage. We're talking about guys not able to execute zone exits well and guys getting hammered on the penalty kill. Schneider played excellently in New York. Yes, three goals were allowed, but he only allowed two of them, one of which was a mistake behind the net that also involved uh, that man you may be thinking of. <laughs> <laughs> the latter uh, category. I'll, and the, I'll, I'll save him for a little bit. Right. Because uh, that requires a little deeper of a dive. But nevertheless... He played excellently in the net, moved great from post to post. That's what you want to see. So he faced an onslaught. And more importantly, the Devils got a lead in that game very quickly. Miko Heischer tipped in a long shot from, I believe, Vatnin to make it 
one nothing early on. Mikhail Maltsev posterized Brendan Smith and Alexander Georgiev. I didn't know you could posterize a guy in preseason, but Maltsev did it. He had a strong game in addition to the goal as well. He helped, I think, open some people's eyes as to why the Devils signed this guy, made sure he come over, because clearly he can handle the North American game. Right. But in that New York game, you know, John Hayden and Kevin Rooney were bad. <laughs> a number of other players were bad. Connor Carrick was bad. I know he scored a goal in that game, but still, he, he was generally not good at the whole defense thing. And they lined up. And keep in mind, the New York Rangers threw out a very strong lineup at forward. They, it was the debut of Artemi Panarin, it was the debut of Capocaco, Mika Zabanajad. You know, they had their, I would say, their A lineup at forward in that game. So you could argue that getting destroyed in the run of play and giving up lots of shots was somewhat expected. But at the same time, the Devils kind of made it easy on themselves. But in the bigger picture here, Schneider played great. Evan Cormier came into this third period and played great as well. And the Devils did enough to get ahead, maintain the lead, and never fully lost it. And they held on to win. So, you know, in the bigger picture, good, but definitely some things to improve upon. The second game against the Rangers was much better, though, Dan. Mm -hmm. Uh, that one was at home, and this one, again, featured more of an A lineup from the Devils. You had Hall making his preseason debut. You had him with Jack Hughes, and that turned out to be a glorious combination. You also had Kyle Palmieri in the game. You had Wayne Simmons making his debut because he didn't play on Monday. You had Subban back in the lineup. So I did not go to the game on Monday. I watched it on the, on the computer just like you did. Mm -hmm. So for me, this was my first live experience seeing these guys. And less than 30 seconds in, a bad line for the Rangers – Jack Hughes swoops in, five holes long fist. I'm already thinking this young guy's going to retire the man. It's going to be glorious. And the Devils went on to just to destroy the Rangers that first period. That first period was fantastic. That Again, definitely a talent advantage in favor of the Devils, but the Devils controlled that game in the first period. Like, they put up three goals. There was no chance the Rangers were going to win the game, and guess what? They did it. Yeah, the Rangers played more like a hockey team in the second and the third period, but there was no danger that the Devils were going to lose that game. McLeod slips in one extra insurance goal against McKeeman, but the Devils made Lundqvist look bad. Hall looked great. Hughes looked great. Simmons looked solid. I never saw this before, Dan, but the Rangers attempted four fights and only had one of them. Right. And, of course, it was with Simmons, and Simmons made Charlie Lindgren regret that decision. Um, that's when he became a fan favorite for the Devils because he kept lipping off at a Ranger on the way to the box. <laughs> Uh, but all the other attempted fights were guy drops gloves, Blake Coleman would like skate away, and then it's like, oh, here's two minutes for unsportsmanlike conduct. That's how frustrated the Rangers were. They couldn't even get their fights going. And it was great to see the Devils just dominate an opponent, especially a hated rival. You never like to lose to a rival. Our hated rivals took two L's. Yeah, they don't count in the bigger picture, but I still enjoyed it. And I know in your heart, Dan, you enjoyed it as well. Oh, I loved every second of it. That first game was interesting because I knew the Devils were kind of going into it with a somewhat skeletonish forward crew. They had most of their defense that would be starting, of course, minus Subban play that game. Um, and Green. Yeah. And, and Green, that's right. But they, they did have most of the squad that would conceivably make the team. So it was interesting to see how they would perform in a situation where their forwards wouldn't necessarily be in possession of the puck as much, just, you know, given the talent gap between the Rangers' first two lines and whatever the Devils had after uh, Heesh or Gusev. But back home, the they looked great. And again, they outclassed them, which they should have. Yeah. Um, it's... It, Again, this is one of those things where if you have the talent to win, you'd rather see them bury them instead of barely scratch something out. So that was also very nice to see. And 
it's nice to get the home crowd amped up. Now, the next couple of games, you know, I know we still have a game to talk about in there, but so far it's been all in the tri-state area. So the Devils are going to have their first, I'd say, true road experience with a squad that looks similar to the one that'll uh, be trotted out on opening night, just because that game in Montreal was very much a lot of players who just got cut over the weekend. Yeah, and it's a split squad game. It's the first day of preseason. You know, it's not going to be anything close to an NHL roster. Right. Yeah, so I, I agree. This is the proper road experience, and it's good in a way that they're having this road experience because the Devils were bad on the road last season, and yeah, they were bad at home too, but they were really bad on the road right. last season. So I think it's important that not only do the players get used to being on the road, but the coaches as well, because they're going to be seeing Boston a couple times, and they're definitely going to be competing directly with Columbus. If I'm not mistaken, it's Columbus's last preseason game as well. If it's not, it's probably their next-to-last preseason game. So that will be a good dress rehearsal for the season upcoming, because guess what? With the way the Devils are and what they're coming back from, pretty much every game is going to count for the Devils this season. So it's important to get off to a good start, get everybody informed, and get familiar with who you're going to be playing against. When you've missed the playoffs six out of the last seven years, there's no margin for error anymore here. There's there's no, oh, you know, we dropped a point here. That's not so bad. This is like every single point is important. If you can go for it to tie games lay out there um you know john hayden you were mentioning that he wasn't so good in the first game but in the second game late in the game uh, he held the rangers off the board he blocked so many shots in that last little flurry that they had it was nice to see him and that's the kind of stuff that i know that Hines likes to see yeah. um, so hayden did help himself a little bit i was obviously excited to see the players that we're all excited to see but i'm very Probably the thing that pleased me the most was the way Schneider looked in the net. Oh, yeah, definitely. And that came over to the last game, the third, the most recent game against the Islanders. So this followed the Rangers game. So the Rangers game was Friday. The Islanders game was Saturday. So basically, whoever didn't play on Friday got to play on Saturday. So it was similar to the team that went into MSG and came out with a W. And like that game. Devils gave up a ton of shots. They gave up 45. This time Schneider stayed in net and faced all 45 of them. Yeah, three of them went in, but the guy was making all sorts of big saves. And again, similar to that Rangers game, the Islanders had their A-line out there with Matt Barzal, Jordan Eberle, and Anders Lee on a unit. Oh, by the way, they got to face a lot of Miles Wood, Kevin Rooney, and John Hayden. I'll give you three guesses how well that matchup Hmm. went. It didn't go well. Was it a 30% rocking 30%? It was below 30% Corsi. That's hard to do in any game, much less a preseason game. Because normally, and this is, I guess, my one beef from the last three games, and this is something I hope that gets resolved in the next two preseason games, is that I can understand in preseason you want to put units together and see how they do. And you may go into it with the approach of, I don't care if they get killed out there, I just need to see them for a full game. But in an actual NHL regular season game where every point does matter, if you're getting hammered in a matchup, Change the matchup, at least, if you're not going to change the line. You can analyze Wood, Rooney, and Hayden without having them go up for over seven minutes in five-on-five ice time, which is a lot, mind you, in five-on-five play. Over seven minutes against the likes of Barzal, Lee, and Eberle. In fact, you don't even need to watch the game. If I just tell you this is the matchup and they're going to face this line, you know who's going to win. Yeah. And no, it's not going to be... Miles Wood, who doesn't know how to defend all that well, Kevin Rooney, who's literally the definition of a guy, and John Hayden, who has yet to learn how, the, how to play penalty kill on this team. I've never seen, you know, the Devils have been running a wedge plus one for the last several years under Hines. It's been very effective for them. 
but this man wants to play a small box. It's like I, I wanted to scream at, at, in the arena, Hayden, you need to engage the point man. That's your job is the plus one. Kevin Rooney isn't the only guy. You have to rotate with him. That's how it works. Yeah, I mean, moving to the more positive side of the Islander game, besides Hayden's yeah. uh, lack of position here, Jesper Boquist got two goals. Yes. Which is all that we want from him. This is the, the thing that we wanted coming into this training camp and really this season is with a more you know, with a team that features more depth, these players that are on the fringe have to make it a tough decision every single game for the coaching staff and management to send them back. And because their situations are so difficult in terms of getting the player back to the NHL, they're really giving the coaches and management something to think about in a very positive way with players like Boquist and McLeod and in a somewhat negative way with Ty Smith. Yes. Now we'll touch on Smith in a moment, but let's stay positive for the moment here with yeah. Bokvist. Bokvist has done, I would say, a good job of making a case for himself. Again, two not only two goals against the Islanders, two power play goals. And the first one was when he crashed the net after Nico Heischer made a great move at the crease. It eluded the goaltender, went off a defenseman, but Bokvist crashed the net. And for a guy who... When he was drafted, everyone said, oh, he's a perimeter player. He's not going to be a guy that's going to be in the dirty areas. Well, guess what? He was playing the bumper in the 1-3-1, and he had no issues getting to the net, and he got a goal out of it. So credit to him, and credit to him for silencing the critics, so to speak. Uh, that's a very good adjustment he made. He got a tip in on what turned out to be the game-winning goal, which was helped out by the fact that the goaltender decided to hug Jesper Bratt, right. which I've also not seen. You know, normally the goaltender does not grab a guy in the third period in a 3-3 game, but hey, it's preseason. It's preseason it for everyone. <laughs> yeah, it's preseason for everybody. Uh, he wasn't making the Islanders anyway, so I guess he figured, why not? Nevertheless, but yeah, Bokvist, he didn't play with an NHL line on, in the Islanders game, but in other games he did. And most notably, he played with NHL players on the power play unit. And I'm not talking about just like, oh, he sure and... This, and maybe Butcher. I'm also talking about he was in, on power plays with the likes of Hall, the likes of Hughes, the likes of Subban. These your A guys, your top guys. That's a sign. That's a tell that the coaches want to know how well you play with these guys because there's going to be a chance he's going to play with those guys. Mm -hmm. And if he's going to play with those guys, Dan, he ain't going to do it in Brennis. He's doing it in New Jersey. I don't think McLeod's made as strong of a case as Boquist. No. But it's, no, not at all. <laughs> you know, he hasn't been bad. He's been much better than past camps. He's made it further than he has in the past, and he is giving them a reason to take a legitimate look at him. He probably, you know, just given the roster situation right now, won't get through right away, but he'd probably be the first or second call-up. I, I would agree with that. He's definitely been a lot better than a lot of his big men, being Hampton compatriots, a lot better than Bastion. In the run of play, he's been killed, whereas Bokvist has actually done well. But I will agree that McLeod has found a way to be productive. He's found a way to not be a total turnover machine. He's found a way to at least be involved somewhat. And that's a benefit to him. So I'll, I'll, I'll agree that he's earned his way to the final cut. But I'll agree that he's also not ready to be not cut, if that makes any sense. Yeah, I mean, a lot of these cuts did make sense. We kind of had a gauge of which oh, yeah. players wouldn't be around any longer the surprising one to me is Tennyson still being yeah. around uh I don't I, I don't know what they've seen really because I haven't really heard his name called too much when watching these preseason games but obviously there's something there or maybe they're just putting the fear of God into Ty Smith and saying even this guy is coming for your spot well it could be 
a bit of that. It could also there's also some, and this was mentioned in the comments at all about the jersey, of course, that it could also be a little bit of AHL politics. Tennyson, he ha- does have over 100 NHL games, but he's been mostly in the a- AHL for most of his career. So he's sort of one of those fringe NHL players at best. He's 29. He looked okay in the Ra- the Rangers game in the Prudential Center, but that was also an easy game, so to speak. He wasn't uh, used against the top tier forward groups of the other two preseason games we talked about. Right. So I question whether or not Tennyson's a legit guy. But I will point out that if the Devils do have some injuries on defense, you could look to a guy like Tennyson. So it's arguable that, yeah, you want to reward him for being willing to sign with the Devils, even though he's likely going to be in Binghamton. It's possible that he's probably going to be like a captain there. So, you know, and you want to get the other guys in Binghamton available to go into camp and get some games and minutes themselves. I'm sure that's part of the agreement. I, I don't see a pathway for Tennyson to make the New Jersey lineup right now, but it could be a call-up, and to that extent, you may want to roll him out for another game or two just to see how does he do with the full roster, so to speak. But but you, you raised a good point. He could very well be there just to say, hey, Ty Smith, it, it ain't yours. Yeah. And you need to be a lot better to make it yours. Right. He hasn't come out and really – had a stranglehold over that spot last year. No, he challenged a lot of conceptions that people had in terms of when he'd be ready because he almost made the team last year enter a lot more depth this year across the board. And all of a sudden he's feeling the pressure on him. Now they kept him around because what else are they going to do? They can't just send him back down to the WHL right now, but it's worth saying that if he doesn't do well, these next two games, I can see a scenario where they send him down for another year of seasoning. Exactly. I mean, honestly, the best place for him to play would be the AHL. Right. But he can't because he's not 20. And that's the agreement that the NHL and the CEHL have had. Right or wrong, you're not going to change the rules. It's very similar to the situation with Zaka a couple years back where it was clear that he was probably outgrowing junior, but he wasn't really ready for the NHL. But the Devils... The Devils were also rebuilding and they were terrible, so they didn't care. But right now you're in a position with the Devils where they do care and they do want to succeed. So keeping Smith around means you're keeping a guy around, but he's not going to develop just practicing and sitting in the press box. You need him playing. But if you need him playing, he needs to be a hell of a lot better than he has been because he's been given these opportunities in preseason, whereas Bokvist has excelled, Smith has squandered them. Smith has been bad, bad with a capital B. He's lost his coverage. He doesn't know where he needs to be. He's not in sync with Damon Severson. He's not in sync with Schneider. And that led to two of those goals on Wednesday night. Stick him against the Islanders game. He was just mauled. He was beaten at the bitten at the blue line. He was beaten in one-on-one situations. Like this is a guy that I can I can agree that he could just be having the worst week of hockey in a very long time. You know, guys just have a slump or something like that. But at the same token, this is what you've been preparing for. Like, the guy dominated the WHL. Based on what you said last year, it was very true. He had a very long stay in camp, very long look. Maybe on a different team, he would have made the team. But they sent him back. So logically, you would think, okay, he should come back and show that he really is ready for the NHL. I expected it. I think you may have expected it. But the man has not shown it. Simple as that. They've tried him with Severson. they tried him with Carrick. Both of those pairings went poorly. They're not giving him power play time because he certainly hasn't earned it. And that's the other thing. He hasn't contributed anything on offense either that could make you make up for some of the defensive errors. So this is a guy that he'll probably get another opportunity or two just because of his situation. But you're right, Dan. If he doesn't show it, he's going to go back to Spokane. Simple as. 
Yep, and it's tough to have that happen to a player like that. You wonder what that'll do for his confidence. Will he go back to Spokane and light it up again as he has for the last couple of years, or will that kind of be you know, a turning point for him where he loses confidence, that confidence that was having him dominate that league? Like, of course, talent-wise, it's clear that he's better than most of the players uh, and every defender in the uh, Canadian Hockey League. That's the award that he got last year, but he's got to get out there and these last two games really show some some flair really show what had fans all excited for him because otherwise i can definitely see them going for a 14-7 roster approach rather than the 13-8 which would factor smith being there well it's not even flair dan he needs to just do the basics like be an nhl defenseman do the unflashy stuff make your exits actually exit the zone Cover your position, communicate with your partner and your goaltender so you're not running into each other or misplaying pucks or anything like that. Be aware of what's around you. Like, those are the basics of the NHL. And I'm sorry, you know, I understand that if he goes back to Spokane, he may lose his confidence. But truth be told, Smith has no one to blame but himself if that happens. Because, again, the Devils have been giving him games. They've given him pairings. They've given him NHL forwards in front of them. They've given them minutes on the penalty kill, minutes – in other five-on-five situations that aren't easy situations just to see what he can do. And the man just hasn't proven it. And it's tough because you can hear it in the way that Hines is speaking post-practice and post-games, too. Instead yeah. of, you know, he's heaping praise on players like Boquist, of course, and Hayden. I mentions McLeod here or there. But when he's talking about Smith, he's like, that's something we're going to have to work out. We'll sit in the room. We'll work on it together. Clearly, they're very invested in making sure that they don't have to send him back for that extra year. But time's running low for him. And hopefully he gets it together and shows some stuff against Boston and Columbus, especially on the road where it would be even more of a high-pressure situation for him. Exactly. But... And this is why I didn't want to talk about him earlier, because, again, it's not just like he just had a bad moment or a bad shift. He's just had bad games. And based on what Heinz is talking about, it sounds like he's not doing very well in practice. And those are the two areas you get evaluated in for anybody in camp. It's not just what you and I see in the games, but it's also in the two versus two, the three versus threes, the scrimmages, the video sessions. Like those are the other areas where the coaches are going to look at you and say, well, are you doing well? And this may be why a guy like Hayden gets i guess more praise even though he's been awful in these preseason games you know blocking shots notwithstanding he's just been bad ba bad 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 in these hockey games but he's not giving the coaches what they expect you know it's up to him man yeah i mean i'm hoping i'm hoping that he figures it out because we've seen what he can do we saw what he could do last training camp we've seen you know, what his WHL statistics are. We, we've seen everything that's there to have this complete defenseman who we were kind of relying upon to eventually be a second um, or maybe even like in a pinch first pairing guy. But this is something that he'll have to work through. He is still 19 years old. So by no means, if he doesn't make the team this year, is it his last opportunity? But Oh, no, not at all. You know, it's, it's just a, a tough look for something that was supposed to be so... I don't know if such a sure thing, but definitely showed more promise going into camp as opposed to where we are now. Right. In any case, but these next two games are going to be interesting to see not only for how they play, but who is playing with who. Yeah, and that brings us to our next point here. Pavel Zaka is going to be practicing tomorrow. He's finally back on his visa issues sorted out it seems there's a lot of red tape in the american immigration system but 
here he is. He's back, and he has essentially one game to show John Hines where he fits in this lineup after holding out for so long. So what do you expect to see from Zaka, especially after, obviously he's been training on his own, but he has been away from the team most of training camp. And we had it with Miles Wood in a way last year, but this is a little bit different because Zaka has to carry more of the load as a center. True. It does remain to be seen whether or not the Devils see him as a center or a left winger, similar to how, how do they see Jesper Vokvist? Because he played both center and left wing in preseason so far. Ultimately, and this is what I was sort of referring to when I said that it's also important with who is in the lineup in terms of who is he going to play with. If they're going to stick Zaka with like Hayden and Wood, that could be a potential, I guess, a fourth line option, which is going to be very weird because you have this guy with some offensive ability, but it's also some defensive ability in Zaka. You have Wood, who is a straight line, fast player, and then you have Hayden, who is a guy on the ice. I don't know how three those three will work together, but hey, we're going to have to find out. I would like to see Zaka kill penalties. He's very good at that last season. He should be doing that again this season. I would like to see if they decide to put him on the second power play unit because I think that's where his skills could be utilized. But again, a lot of it is going to come down to his utilization and who is he going to be paired with or line up with, I should say. Because if they're going to give him the Roonies and the Haydens of the lineup instead of like the Bulkfists and the Colemans and other guys with some skills, some speed – guys that I think would complement Zaka's skills well, that would give us a better idea of, like, how do they see Zaka? Yeah, and that that's the interesting part of it. Like, do you think that he's earned at least that look with the higher caliber players? I'm not sure if he has. Well, not definitely not with the likes of, like, Hughes or Palmieri or well, yeah. Brad. But, again, we're talking about bottom six forwards here. And Zaka's a bottom six forward, but as you said, the depth on this team is a lot better. So your bottom six forwards aren't just... John Quenville, you know, on a call-up. You know, we're talking about Coleman, we're talking about Zajac, we're talking about Simmons, we're talking about Wood, and we're talking about potentially Bulkfist, just because I don't think Bulkfist cracks the top six unless somebody's injured. And the Devils have some real options here, and Zaka coming back gives them another option to play around with. So I definitely think he's going to be in the lineup. He's not going to be one of these guys that Hines alluded to of saying, oh, well, some guys just haven't made the team necessarily. I think that was more of a comment about the mile for guys like Miles Wood, Kevin Rooney and John Hayden. But I, I, you know, it's going to be an interesting question of how do they slot him? Because I'm anticipating that Columbus game is probably going to be like a dress rehearsal. Don't be surprised if October 4th, you're going to see almost the exact same lineup barring some injury or coaching decision. That's what you see on what you see on Columbus might be what you're going to get on at the home opener. Well, that's why tomorrow's particularly interesting. We're recording this Tuesday night and the Devils play against Boston in Boston on Mm. Wednesday. And it's interesting because the lineup for the game against Boston basically looks like what would happen if the Devils had a few major injuries. Yeah. And these you know that's not that hard to conceptualize after last year obviously we're all hoping it doesn't happen but no hall no palmary no suban no green no zajac and then you still have a team that looks pretty decent on paper based on what we've seen so far it just remains to be seen how they'll perform on ice against whoever boston trots out there but every team should be reasonably close to their opening day roster by this point yeah this is the this is why the second week of preseason I, I made a special post about what to look for because it's not just figuring out your final battles like the guys who are on the proverbial bubble, but it's also your last chance to try out new things without any 
real consequences of the standing. So this is the game where these are the games where you want to figure out, all right, are we going to really stick with this on the power play? Are we going to stick with this on the penalty kill? Is there anything we need to work on, like zone exits, which is what something the Devils absolutely should be working on as a team, but also puck possession in general, like who, how are you going to break out? Clean up, clean up whatever you can before the games start counting. So to that end, I, I do agree that, um, yeah, it's not an A lineup, but that's probably because they're going to save the A lineup for that last game, which is which is only two days later. It's not that far in the future. So use Boston to figure out your last minute decisions. I'm sure they're going to come out of that and figure, OK, Tennyson's not going to make the team. Bastion's not going to make the team. Uh, McLeod's probably not going to make the team either. And then you can use that last game to figure out the fourth and final cut you have to make. Right. It's, it's going to be tough. It's going to be, you know, not the easiest decision they've had to make. And it does look like no matter what they do, Binghamton will look pretty strong as a result. Just as a oh, consequence yeah. of the Devils being deeper uh, in the in the NHL, Binghamton is going to have a much better time than they did last year, given that most of their top players spent most of the year in the NHL substituting for the injury-ravished New Jersey Devils. Not only that, but the guys that have been there are also a little older and a little more experienced. So, for example, a guy like uh, Marion Studini. Actually, I was going to say Marion Studini, who okay. wasn't even called up. But he now has a full year of professional hockey under his belt. So he has a better idea of, A, what it takes to get noticed to be called up. But also, B, what it takes to play those three games and three nights deals that you have in the AHL, which is Friday through Sunday. Like, that's the grind. That's what you got to do. Uh, it'll be a little interesting to see how a guy like Mikhail Maltsev and Fabian Zetterlund, both guys who are brand new to the AHL, see how they handle it. But for the Zignacs, the Sharon Govichs, the Studeniches, uh, and, and as you mentioned, Anderson, Sini, Bastion, most likely, and even McLeod, they're they're going to go into the AHL and go, okay, we know what to expect. We know what we need to do. This is how we need to succeed at this level. Because Binghamton got rolled over last year as well. They'll yeah. probably be more competitive just by just by the fact that at least the roster is not going to be filled with rookies and guys who are brand new to the roster and they're long shot prospects, but they're trying their best. These guys will be better just by being aware of what's what's going to happen. Yeah, I'm I'm intrigued to follow that too because that's essentially going to be an auditioning ground for the main club, which is getting more and more desirable to be a part of. Oh, the yeah. further we go into Shiro's tenure. So these guys want to make sure they fit in among these star players, and the best way to show that is to do well at the lower level. This is something that they've hopefully learned a lot in this last year, and people were kind of, you know, after that Maltsev goal against the Rangers, they are like, oh man, sad that he got cut this early. It makes sense from where he is in an organizational depth chart perspective, but he did make a good name for himself through this preseason, and hopefully he continues that in the AHL as well. And also my guy uh, Baddock cleared waivers, and he's back, and he <laughs> had some interesting offensive flashes which came seemingly out of nowhere. Oh yeah, that pass to Gusev in the Rangers game was definitely out of nowhere. I had to do a double take when I noticed, wait a minute, Baddock beat a man one-on-one -on -one and made a really tough pass to Gusev for a goal? Why was Gusev on the ice with Baddock? And then it occurred to me, oh, yeah, second period, line change, duh. But, uh, no, he, you know, that's what you get out of exhibition games. Go out and make a mark, even if you know you're not going to make the roster. Hey, you don't know where the next opportunity is going to come. Yep, yeah, and from a housekeeping perspective, everyone the devil sent down cleared waivers. Of course, yeah. And, uh, and also they didn't claim anyone, so it's – 
the exact names you've been hearing that's who's still in the organization just to make sure because last year i know at the 11th hour they added john sebastian d right before the end of training camp yeah and they also signed drew stafford off a of pto after jesper brought broke his jaw off a that's bizarre right. puck uh, deflection well that was the yeah, omen but... that was a harbinger of things to come in retrospect, yes, it was. <laughs> um, and yeah, with that all being said, we're going to take a short break here um, and then come back with obviously the big news that we've all wanted to talk about. And of course, we have no more clarity on and to continue our top 25 under 25. See you soon. All right. Welcome back, everyone. And again, we've been avoiding it because we know it's a hot topic, but the controversial slash optimistic news of the day or the last two or three days really is whatever's happening with Taylor Hall's contract situation. Now we're getting reports from the North American, you know, widespread national NHL media, including Darren Dreger saying that an extension could happen sooner rather than later. They had good progress in a dialogue they've met. And then you have Taylor Hall coming out and saying, listen, they didn't even talk numbers yet. It was a good preliminary discussion, but I wouldn't say we're close to anything. I, you know, I obviously I don't know who to believe. You're more inclined to believe the guy who's actually the subject of this whole negotiation. But what are your thoughts on some of this developing news with Taylor Hall? And does the fact that it's coming this early make it more or less likely that he'll sign an extension? I think it will definitely make it more likely because let's be real. Hall has no, and I mean no incentive to talk contract right now. So the fact that we have confirmation that his agent, and that's the thing here, Taylor Hall can say we didn't talk numbers because you're right. Taylor Hall didn't talk numbers. His agent never said that. Mm -hmm. <laughs> and who's going to be making the deal here? The agent. I mean, I'm sure Taylor Hall will you know, have a say, but for the most part, that's why you have an agent. You have him to represent and do all the nitty gritty all the details, you know, dot your I's, cross your T's, all that fun stuff of negotiations and contracts. So the fact that guys like Dreger, Elliot Friedman, Pierre Lebrun, all of a sudden out of nowhere are saying, oh, yeah, Taylor Hall's agent and Ray Sherrill met and you know, they're in New Jersey and here's a story about Hall and a contract and yada, yada, yada. I, I think there's some smoke. There's some fire to the smoke, so to speak. That's that's my overall take on this. And in terms of who to believe, you know, again, my my cynical stance on this is that Taylor Hall didn't talk numbers, but I think his agent did. I think Ferris said that he didn't specifically talk numbers, but what mm. agent is going to say that they actually did? Yeah, and and if you read Elliot Friedman's recent Thirty One Thoughts at Sportsnet, which if you're a hockey fan, you probably do, and if you don't, I highly recommend that you do because yeah, he I'll make has sure legitimate information. It. Yeah, and he made a big point because just before the post came out, Braden Point got announced to a very very friendly uh, three year deal. Granted, Less... Point's going to get paid incredibly well. It's not let's not pretend he's going to be eating you know Chef Boyardee for the next three years. Less AAV than Kevin Hayes. Right, exactly. Nevertheless, but the point that Friedman made is that and agents have told him time and time again, if you want to make a deal, we can make a deal within 24 hours. <laughs> a lot of the, a lot of this negotiation is a lot of hurry up and wait. Right. You're waiting them out, especially in the case of Point, who is a restricted free agent. And now we're getting close to the season. So, of course, everybody's playing chicken. Nobody wants to be the guy who blinks first. But Somebody blinked and, you know, a deal was made. In the case of Hall, he, again, has no incentive to do so. He hasn't played yet in a real game. We need to see if the injury is legit. 
who knows if he gets injured again. You don't know how the team's going to be and so on and so forth. But we go from nothing at all about Hall, but pure speculation and no sources. Nobody major talking about this to legit NHL insiders with legit sources, legit backgrounds, legit reputation saying, oh, yeah, something could ha- something could be happening here. Yeah. Again, it, there's it, fire to this smoke. And I, don't be surprised if after hearing, oh, we didn't talk numbers that 24 hours from now. OK, it's not going to be 24 hours from now. Calm down, everybody. <laughs> but very soon a deal could be struck. It. It could be something as simple as X over Y years. Yeah, my guy will agree to that. Great. Let's drop the paperwork tomorrow. Done. Deal's done. And I'm interested what a deal structure could look like for Hall for that exact for those exact reasons that you were talking about. It's there's so many reasons for either side why they should wait for Hall to see if he can get back to game performance and really earn, you know, the extra million, so to speak. And for the Devils to see if he's fully recovered from the injury and how the team performs as a whole, whether it's worth the long-term investment on him, which is why the timing of this kind of strikes me as curious. But that just means that I feel like this was already something that they had discussed despite saying and maintaining that, listen, there's nothing on the table yet. Exactly. And keep in mind, one of the things I really like about Ray Sher is that he's continued the tradition from Lou that you reveal as little as possible to the public. Right. You don't negotiate in public. You don't reveal your terms. Maybe you find out years from now after the guy retired of, oh, this is what happened. Kind of like similar to how apparently Jason Arnott asked to be traded away. Or was it? No, it was Bill Guerin who asked to be traded away after an arbitration hearing went bad. And Lou made that happen. And that's partially why he was traded. Nevertheless, the point is, you didn't hear about this stuff in the public. And Shero has continued to that. So, again, I'm not saying he's going to be signed tomorrow or next week. But... I'd be a little surprised if there's nothing by, say, the trade deadline. Yeah, I'm, this is interesting because this entire tenure, all of the biggest moves made by Ray Shiro have not been telegraphed at all. This no. is this is there have been no whispers. In fact, at this point, when I see a rumor on some, I mean, first of all, you should audit whatever Twitter accounts you see, you know, talking about rumors anyway. See if their sources are legit, which they may or may not be but anytime i see a rumor about the devils on any of these rumor pages i tend to not believe it now because all of the biggest moves have not been telegraphed at all they have not been talked about at all no one knew suban was going to new jersey until the morning that it happened no one exactly. knew all was being traded for larson until the morning that it happened nobody saw the henrik fatten trade coming nope Nobody saw the Nikita Gusev trade that that went down in the middle of the summer. Even and the signings, the Simmons signing, no one really saw that one coming. I think the only signing slash transaction that was, I guess, for lack of a word, telegraph was the Will Butcher sweepstakes. But that's that was a free college free agent. And it was also in August, like nothing was else was happening in hockey. You can't just ignore the spotlight there. Yeah. But you're absolutely right. Shero, it's classic. You'll know it when it happens. And Which I is what I that. like. I'd rather have, yeah. you know, there's, you could speculate all you want about the Hall stuff. You could speculate about any possible roster additions, but you won't know for sure until there's an official announcement made. So you can get yourself into a tizzy worrying about when he'll sign his contract. The fact that news is coming out now is different than the general um, MO of Ratio and the Devils. But of course, we're talking about a very exceptional player here. So obviously news is going to follow him wherever he goes. The timing of this is curious to me, but I'm glad that at the very least it looks like there is fire to this smoke. Yep. 
So we shall see if the fire keeps on burning. All right. And uh, to keep our top 25 under 25 burning on and actually lighting it ablaze, we're at the top five <laughs> of the – I tried. I did what I could, and I'm sorry. But <laughs> we're going to finish off the top 25 under 25 list. And I'm going to go ahead and guess that these names are names that you expected to see in these five slots. Yes, these are five guys that the community vote all picked, not in the exact same order. They were very close, in fact. I missed it by one person, but um, I will run it down nonetheless. Mm -hmm. So coming in at number five is the aforementioned Ty Smith. And I think that's a big reason why people are very up in arms. Well, maybe not up in arms, but they're disappointed with how he's performing in preseason. Because as you said, he did great in training camp last year. He dominated the WHL. He was one of the best junior defensemen in Canada all signs pointed to him of making the New Jersey roster, and so far he has done everything to show that, no, not quite. But nevertheless, people are high on Ty Smith, and uh, as an under-25 player, as one of the few non-NHL players in the top 10, he slotted in at number 5. And we make these votes before preseason of the Prospect Challenge. We, we make them in August, in fact, so it's a legit ranking. We'll see how uh, perceptions change over the season. Yeah, that should be intriguing. Really, a lot of the ranking depends on whether or not, you know, even if he does get the audition with the team, despite not having the best preseason, if he doesn't last more than nine games, that should probably affect where he ranks as well. Coming at number four is Jesper Brat, the winger. Uh, very talented. He made his way out of literally, well, I don't want to say nowhere, but as a six-round pick, that's effectively nowhere from a prospect right. perspective. Uh, jumped into the top six. He's definitely missed... Quite a bit of time last season with a broken jaw. It was a rough season in general, but he did pick up his rate of points. He did show some flashes when the Devils had literally no one to flash on with the puck. <laughs> and uh, he figures to be a very complimentary player for a lot of the skilled players that he's playing with. He could have had a lot more goals in preseason. Some of his finishing, his accuracy was just unfortunate in some cases. But I'm a big believer that if you keep generating good chances, getting into good locations to shoot, you're going to get those goals. And Brat is doing the right things to do that. So he's got every incentive to do well. He's in his last year of his ELC. So he should have a, He could have a very big season. He comes in at number four on the list. He looks so good in preseason. He looks very confident on the puck. He's evading people pretty quickly and pretty smartly. I'm really impressed by what I've seen from Jesper Bratt so far. It seems like he's always in the mix of offensive situations and can pretty comfortably play with uh, almost anyone. Yeah, exactly. And that's, you know, they we're trying to do this to a point in his first season where sometimes he's with Heischer and Hall and other times he's not. And you could try to mix and match. Now that you have Jack Hughes and you have Nikita Gusev and you have some other players in the lot, in the mix, it's much easier to swap you know, slot these guys around and have a lot of combinations that can work with you, which is great for Brat and great for the Devils. Mm -hmm. All right, moving on to number three is Will Butcher. He is 24 years old, so this is, I think, his last entry on the list here. He comes in at number three. He was arguably the best defenseman on the Devils last season. A lot of the underlying numbers, the analytics, so to speak, granted they weren't really good for any of the defensemen, but he was the best in many categories. You'll you'll see why and how in next week's uh, week-long season preview. Mm -hmm. Nevertheless, Butcher, while he had his production drop, he did get more responsibilities, get more minutes. He's not just a third-pairing guy that just does well on the power play. He can legitimately handle good competition at this level, and he understands how to push the play forward, whereas other De Devils defensemen last season, Green, uh, just floundered in that regard. So, nevertheless, he signed a nice extension this summer, 
three more years at good money. He's going to be an important player on this defense for the next couple of years in his prime year, so to speak. Three is where he finished, and three is a good spot for him. Arguably the most important defenseman right now, just based on preseason play alongside P.K. Subban. I would say Subban's a little more important because he's making $10 million this season. No, no, I mean, uh, you know, most important <laughs> besides Subban, obviously. Okay, come, fine. Comes with the caveat that when you acquire a uh, top 20 defenseman in the league, they're going to be the most important. But Butcher, just okay, based on fair. preseason play alone, has looked like the most important defenseman aside from Subban. Okay, fair. Coming at number two is the big deal. Jack Hughes. Ooh. Now, this is actually a repeat of what happened, I believe, in 2017. I'm not sure if I'm going to be proven wrong immediately about this. But where Nico Heischer got drafted, he didn't, I don't think he finished first overall on the top 25 either. Mm-hmm. And However, Jack Hughes is a special prospect. And again, we make these votes before preseason, before the prospect challenge. So we went into this knowing that he was great with the USNTDP. That team was absolutely stacked, and he was head and shoulders above those guys. So what does that tell you? Mm-hmm. Um, it tells you he's a f- very special prospect. What's curious is that the community vote wasn't that much of a runaway vote for number one. Like, Hughes wasn't exactly, like, left behind by the guy at number one. But he, across the board, except for one writer, he he was slotted in at second. So I think everybody understands that he is a special prospect, and we do anticipate that he's going to be number one very, very soon. But it just so happens that number one man is – not just anybody, Dad. It's your friend and mine. Oh. The top center of the league. <laughs> no, I wish he was the top center of the league. Otherwise, he would stay at number one. <laughs> the top center of the Devils. Come on, be the top center of the league. Come on. How hard could it be? Oh. No, the top center of the New Jersey Devils, Nico Heischer. Who yes. Took a number one center spot before he even turned 21. The Devils have not had a true blue definite, undeniable, unarguable number one center. I've always argued in the past that if you're getting the most minutes and taking on tough matchups. That's what makes you a number one center. Well, guess what? Nico Heischer has done that. He's faced on tough matchups. He did well with Taylor Hall and Kyle Palmieri in his rookie season. And last season we learned that, you know what? Okay, the offense is going to suffer without Hall and Palmieri regardless. But you know who's going to try his best? Make plays, go both ways, do the right things, work his butt off, and try to do his very best to keep salvaging points in a lost season? Nico Heischer did. And he did it successfully. So... He finishes number one. It may be the last time he finishes number one, unless he has an amazing breakout year that outshines Hughes, which is entirely possible. He's mm-hmm. only 21. For all we know, this is going to be the year where he sure goes from being a 50, 60 point guy to a much, much higher level just because of who he's playing with, how old, how much older and stronger he is while still being so young that there's potential for growth to a degree and also potential to develop further as an NHL player. And as a man, the fact that Heischer and Hughes are at the top of this list is the next five years of the top 25 list is going to be great. And most importantly, the devil's future is going to be built around these two guys. Yeah. And that's that's, that's, not just Hughes or just Heischer. It's both of these guys. Like I I was saying, I was kind of waxing on about how good Brat looks. Heischer, man, he looks like he's ready to break out this year. He's playing in every single situation on every single analyst list of players poised for a breakout season. You see Nico Heischer's name. You see Jesper Brat and a few of them too, actually, but you see Nico Heischer as someone who everyone knows he's on the cusp offensively, but the rest of his game is there. I mean, this is a guy who, when asked the question, 
what trophy can you see yourself potentially winning in the NHL? He's obviously going to give the answer of, well, I'd like the team to win a Stanley Cup, but he mentions the Selkie trophy, which is something that people were hyping him up to win since he since before he was even in the league and now it looks like that version of that player that we were looking for that offensive or that defensive um, uh, minded offensive player who can still produce he still put up what 50 points last year this is someone who is no slouch this is someone who's ready to take on that bigger role and now that he has the opportunity to be a role model in his own way for another number one pick that the Devils got. I'm sure Hall was instrumental in helping Heischer, and he will be in helping Hughes as well, but Heischer now has his own clout to go with, and he probably, you know, commands a lot of respect among opposing centers. Heischer went off to improve his face-offs this summer and his shot, and he had a great day uh, in the circle against the Islanders, I believe. Yeah, he was one of the few players that was good in that game for the most part but that's just it is that and, and this is how you can tell how strong of a player was it and even in a game where the devils got outshot something like 45 to 23 he still finishes close to break even in Corsi, which is a really neat trick considering how badly the team got outshot it just points to you that a he took care of his business two his line took care of business and three it, as you say like he he's excellent at doing it both ways Maybe it's a little presumptuous to say this, but a part of me hopes he is their version of Bergeron Mm -hmm. or Barkov. As you say, a guy that he's going to give you lots of points. He's going to give you plenty of offense, but he's going to be so good defensively that it's just a lot of goodness. Maybe that's a little put too much pressure to say he needs to be like Bergeron or Barkov or Kopitar or Datsuk. But, you know, I think the potential legitimately could be – for him to be that type of player. Or if we want to compare him to a past devil, this is going to be really hard for me to justify, uh-huh. but he's got some Eliash in him. Oh, okay, there it is. Because Eliash was very much a player, just like all those other guys I mentioned, right. even if he wasn't always a center. Right, and we were kind of hoping Zaka would be that, not just because of the check connection, but because of the kind of uh, coming out of the draft year, people were saying there were similarities in the game. It looks like he should have just taken that mantle. And, you know, if he becomes a Patrick Elias, it's not a bad thing at all. People oh, will say all. that Elias is a fringe Hall of Famer either way. I will take it any day of the week, especially considering oh, yeah. that, uh, you know, the 2017 draft is interesting in that the top two were definitely separate from the rest of the pack going into the draft itself. And now it seems that that class has evened out a bit more with some other superstar talent taking shape. And uh, luckily not in Philadelphia, who had the second pick in that draft. Should have drafted Heskinen. Right. But again, you know, it's too early to say much about them. But the fact that Nico Heischer is getting this kind of recognition across the league and across uh, pundits around the league, that's a good sign. That's something that I'll take after his first two years, one of which was marred by just a, you know, completely wild season in terms of injuries, in terms of team turnover, in terms of just the luck that they had. They scored on themselves three times in a game, for God's sake. That's not something you see every day. Don't remind me of that game. <laughs> and, you know, that being said, it does make sense that he's number one, because despite all that, people have gotten a chance to see how he responded to the NHL as an 18-year-old, as a 19-year-old, and there's nowhere to go for him but up from this point on. And you could argue that he's already in a high spot to be to begin with, because, again, he's the team's top center. Jack Hughes may usurp him in the future, but unless Hughes demonstrates that he, too, can play incredibly well both ways 
and can play a ton of minutes and can handle the rigors of the NHL. I imagine that he sure is likely going to be still the top guy. But again, that's the luxury that the Devils have. They have similar to how Pittsburgh had Crosby and Malkin, similar to how Washington has Ovechkin and Backstrom, similar to how, okay, the Kings don't really have a second ace center with Kopitar. But the point I'm trying to make is that you can mix and match and, and create some matchup issues that way. And also at the same time, still give big minutes to these guys that can clearly handle them. So, you know, that's your list. Yes, good so list. You want to run good, us down five through one again? Five through one, just to repeat it again. Uh, Ty Smith made it at five. Jesper Brott made it at four. Will Butcher at three. Jack Hughes at two. And Nico at number one. All and right. We'll see how that lasts next year. <laughs> Perfect. Yeah. Hopefully, you know, hopefully that top five is still up there. I mean, Butcher won't be on there because he's aging out of it. But yeah. Um, Still, that's that's pretty much what we all expected to see in the top five. And for more detailed breakdown, Brian's post will be up by this point. Yep, they're already up. Okay, perfect. So yeah, Brian's post is up. Take a look at that for a more in-depth analysis of how we got to that top five. And yeah, John, you got anything else to add for today? Well, somebody immediately commented that Brandon Baddock shouldn't be, should not have been last in the list. <laughs> I think, yeah, I mean, we'll, we'll see. We'll see if people remember the assist to Gusev uh, a year from now. Right. And also before this preseason, how can you argue that he shouldn't have been last in the list? <laughs> yeah. Well, we'll we'll see. We, you know, keep on believing, hoping. I don't even know if you want to hope for your guy to finish last. That's kind of that's kind of rude, but eh, it is what it is. Well, at least it's within the 25. Well, he finished 47th, so... Oh, 47th. <laughs> oh, okay, never mind. He, he finished last, Dan. He didn't make the 25th. Oh, okay, okay, gotcha. I see what you're saying. He wasn't the 25th person. He was the no. absolute last. And you know what? That'll change probably next year. Yeah, he might get his way up to 46. <laughs> if my crusade means anything, we'll get him up to at least the 30s. <laughs> right. But the big things, again, coming up, you got two preseason games. The Devils have a couple more cuts to make. We shall see if Ty Smith and Jesper Bokvist stay or go. We shall see if the Devils make any other moves. We saw that Carolina made a move today, moving Justin Falk mm-hmm. to uh, St. Louis, and St. Louis immediately gave him a big fat contract. Again, as I said earlier, an agent can make a deal within 24 hours. We'll see if the Devils you know, stick with these guys. I think they will. I, I don't anticipate any trades coming, but as we discussed, Ray Shara will let you know when it happens yeah so that's another wrinkle of that Falk deal it included joel edmondson from st louis who was someone that was also included in that 31 thoughts article that you were talking about that he was probably going to be moved and friedman just kind of dropped in that the devils were looking at a defenseman but not necessarily edmondson so i'm intrigued as to where that comes from and if that manifests at all but for now we're reasonably close to what they'll look like on opening night next friday and there's two more preseason games to figure that all out so until that happens we'll leave you for this week and rejoin you back next right before the eve of the or right before the dawn of the new devil season and yeah that's been our time here for this week thanks again for listening we really appreciate it and Yeah, tell your friends, let them know. If you have questions for us, feel free to comment on any of the posts or tweet at us with anything you'd like to hear about. And of course, you know, keep reading all the information you can. Stay informed on what's going on with the organization so we can have some great discussions. Absolutely. Thank you all for listening. All right. And with that, have a great rest of your day or night, and we'll see you next week.